Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Um, I want to continue in our series today. We have been talking about Built Different. What does it mean to be built different? Because honestly, there's a lot of people who want to follow Jesus and and we fit into that category, but sometimes we don't always finish the way that we should. Um, I used to run, I told you guys recently about one of my running experiences, and when I was running my first marathon... There was a guy that my, my sister knew, I didn't really know him, but he is such a runner that when he turned 40 years old, he went out and ran 40 miles just because. I'm like, that's dumb. Ain't nobody chasing me with a paintball gun. I, you know, I might run 40 miles then, but you know, I, you know it had to be a real gun. It had to be a real gun. I, I just shoot me, shoot me with paintball, I'll be all right. I might just say shoot me anyway with a regular gun. But this guy was such a runner that he ran 40 miles just for fun for his birthday. And in this particular marathon, 26.2 miles, that should be nothing for him. He had run multiple marathons, but he's out there. And if you've been a runner or you you know, know anything about running, a lot of times when you run long distance, you'll hit what they call the wall. In a marathon, it's somewhere between 18 to mile 21 normally. I don't know why it is such a small window, but that's when it is. If you're going to hit one, you're going to hit one, and it's going to affect you in different ways. Well, this amazing, fantastic runner was running just another marathon, and all of a sudden, his legs stopped working. Like he was in like prime condition, and he's running, and all of a sudden, his legs just stopped working, and he stumbles and falls down in the street. You know, and he couldn't finish. And unfortunately, in our life, in our spiritual race that we're running, there's a lot of people that are like that. They, they might run strong at one point, but then for whatever reason, they cannot finish the race. And that's kind of a scary thing. And I, I want us to look at that. And if we want to be built different, how do we keep from doing that? Different people don't finish well for different reasons. I've got a video I want you to see for just a second. Turn your, your attention to the There's screen. There's a moral to this story. Oh. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can. And you, know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. I don't know if you guys remember that five or six years ago. I think there was something similar in the Olympics this year, but I could not find the video that I was thinking about. But when you go and you look on things like YouTube and you search like, you know, uh, losing, coming from behind, you know, being in the lead, losing, that kind of thing. I mean, there are video after video after video, like six, ten minutes long of different people who are like celebrating early and they get beat at the last second. And unfortunately, that happens, you know, we don't always finish as strongly as we should. But the goal of our, of our race is heaven, right? And if you fall short of that goal, that's some scary, serious stuff. And so I want myself, I want you guys, I want those of you watching on Facebook to finish well and be built different so that you can do that. Um, if you're into working out, going to the gym, you probably heard the phrase before, don't skip what? Leg day, that's right. A lot of people work out their upper body. They want to have, you know, the gun show, all that sort of stuff. They want to, you know, have nice abs and, you know, get all strong like that. But then they don't always work on the legs. Here's a picture really quickly. That's probably Photoshop, but 
I've seen some people that almost are that drastic. They got the upper body that's just like the, the real deal. And then, the, now I've got chicken legs. I do. I have chicken legs. I could show you my chicken legs, but I don't, it would be bad. The camera would like white out, you know, because it'd be too much like the, pointing at the sun. But anyway, but I mean, no matter what, I don't, I work my legs out. My legs are strong. But I believe the reason a lot of people don't finish the race well is because they skip leg day. Here's why I say that. Look at Colossians chapter 2. We're just going to read through these passages of Scripture that Paul writes. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul's painting a picture of if you want to be strong in your faith, you have to what? Keep walking. And so that means you're going to exercise your legs. And he says, be rooted and just, I mean, it's like a firm base, right? Somebody's going to be trying to knock you over, push you down. And you've got to be rooted and established, built up in the faith. And then he says in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the devil's going to come against you. What do you need to be able to do? Stand. So don't skip what? Leg day, spiritually. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What do you think Paul wants you and I to be able to do? Stand. But so many of us are not built different. And so, therefore, when the enemy comes against us, when the troubles come, when the trials come, we cannot stand. So if we're going to be built different, it's one thing for us to be told, okay, you need to stand. Now, Paul gives some very specific things about putting on the armor of God, protecting ourselves. But I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to get a little more practical, if you will. See an example and see if we can follow it. He says, stand in your faith. So don't skip the spiritual leg day. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us, we become a Christian and we're excited about it. But then we never, ever go to the spiritual gym, so to speak. We might come to church, but we don't put in the work day in and day out to get stronger and build up our strength so that we can what? Stand. So how do we do it? you got to get stronger. If you want to stand in your faith, I want us to look at some lessons from the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14 here in just a second. But the first idea is this. Let's look at this really quick. Life won't be perfect. That's a lesson that you and I need to understand first and foremost. I know in theory we probably know that, but I know I've met so many people who are frustrated in their faith because after a few months after being a Christian, they're like, my life is harder now. You know, and they're upset and they're even a little bit angry. It's like, I became a Christian. I thought everything was going to be perfect. I thought all my issues and my problems were going to go away. My relationships are going to get better. But Jesus himself said that I came to bring what? Not peace, but a sword 
He said that mothers and fathers are, are going to be against each other. Brothers and sons and, you know, and all, I mean, brothers and fathers and all these different relationships are going to be against each other because of him. Because he is like the line in the sand. It's like you want to stand, you're going to draw a line. Are you going to be for him or against him? And it was going to divide even families. And so what we need to understand is this. It's going to be difficult. Life won't be perfect. In all reality life might get more difficult when you decide to follow Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 10. It's an account that you probably heard before many times. But it says, He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And he, his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Now, a little bit of what's going on here. This isn't super relevant other than John the Baptist, John the Immerser, the cousin of Jesus, has died. He was beheaded because he told Herod that he was wrong for, um, for having a relationship with this woman. And so this whole plot gets un put together and John is beheaded. And Jesus gets word of it. It's an incredibly difficult time for Jesus. His cousin, number one, his family member, is dead. So he's mourning for that. Um, his ministry predecessor, John's sole purpose was to point everybody to Jesus who was coming just a little bit behind him. His, his ministry predecessor was dead. But what do you think might have been one of the greatest weights that Jesus was carrying once John was murdered and killed? You think it made him think about what? What he was going to do? He, he had to think about that he was going to the cross. And if you see in scripture, you see this truth is that Jesus was not going to the cross like, woo. You know, he wasn't doing that. He, was not, he knew that he needed to do it. He knew that he, was, he had chosen to do it. It was his will. It was nothing that was being done against him. The Jews didn't truly do it. The Romans didn't do it. You and I didn't truly do it. He allowed it to happen. But he still did not want to go through that physical pain. And so he was going to the cross and it was reminding him that those who do right often get mistreated. And that he was going to suffer in ways that you and I could never imagine. And I want to draw your mind to this. You may have heard this before, but hear it again for the first time, maybe. If things were difficult for God in the flesh... How should you and I expect less? Because in theory, in theory, we probably know that life is going to be difficult even as a follower of Jesus. But when bad things happen, what do we tend to do? Oh, y'all don't do that? Liars. <laughs> y'all don't shake your fist at God? You might not actually do it, but you do it in here and in here. It happens to all of us. We get angry. We get upset. And we may not ever even allow the, the thought to come out of our mouths, but it, it festers in our minds. God, if you're so good, why did you allow this to happen? And the sad thing is, sometimes it's because we, you know, chipped a nail or stubbed our toe. Not to mention all the really horrible things that happen to even really good people. But God is wanting us to see that if 
his son was not spared from hardship, how should we think that we can? And so here's the next thing I want us to see. This is, I believe, helping us to stand strong and stand firm and be built different. It's okay to be discouraged. Can I tell you that? Uh, a couple of Christmases ago, um, one of the messages that I preached in the Christmas season was actually talking about uh, the idea of discouragement and depression. And how uh, oftentimes in the holiday season, that's one of the worst times for discouragement and depression. And I was literally blown away by the people who came up to me in person and sent me messages and sent me texts. I mean, talking about how they were so thankful to hear that it doesn't mean, now everybody hear this, it doesn't mean that you don't love God if you get discouraged and depressed sometimes. Because I believe the church, and I use the big C church, you know, worldwide church, I think at times we might have, have portrayed that idea that if you get discouraged and you get depressed that you're broken and that maybe God doesn't love you. I don't know that it's ever been said, but I think sometimes we may have given that vibe off. And I want you to know that if you're discouraged, if you're even depressed, that you, you're, you're being a little bit like Jesus experienced at times. You're being a little bit like Paul experienced at times. You're being like Elijah at times. When you are standing up and fighting, you're going to take punches. And they are going to hurt, and they're going to hurt your body, and they're going to hurt your heart, and they're going to hurt your mind. But you, it's okay to be discouraged. You don't have to act like life doesn't affect you. I really do believe that there are believers who feel like if I let people know what's going on in my mind, that they're going to think that, oh, you're not a good Christian. And people need to be able to mourn with you if they're going to be able to laugh with you. You know, when you have those deeper relationships, that's when they can really bond with you and join with you. So it's okay to be discouraged. Look at verse 13. It says, now when Jesus heard this, that John had been killed, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus wanted to get away because he was hurting. He was sorrowful. When you are hurting, you are not alone in that. You are not bad. You are not, you know, you're not extra bad, extra broken. You are still loved by God and you are loved by a family in Christ that wants to help you through that. So even Jesus took some time to be alone and rest. It says, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Discouragement and depression are very real. And I'll say it again, it doesn't mean that you aren't a Christian or that you're a bad Christian if you experience them. Think about Jesus in his ministry. When he was in the garden right before he was arrested and went to the cross, it says that he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And it uses a phrase that he was sorrowful to the point of death. Jesus was like, I want to die, but I don't want to die in this way. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be discouraged. And if Jesus got discouraged, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to be discouraged and you're even going to be depressed sometimes possibly. But hear this. Keep moving with compassion. Jesus doesn't even get a moment to catch his breath. And, you know, I think moms can probably relate to that as much or more than anybody. (laughs) You know, you know, you go in the restroom. Is that okay for me to say that? You go in the restroom and then you see little fingers on the door, you know. 
You know, that's sort of the equivalent of what's happening to Jesus right here. He's trying to get away. He's trying to mourn. He's trying to heal and trying to recover. And people were already there waiting for him when he tried to get away into this desolate place. But Jesus keeps moving with compassion because here's the truth that I want you to hear. It's okay to be discouraged, but you can't let discouragement win. It is the enemy. Depression is the enemy. You, you can be discouraged. You can be depressed, but don't let it win. You don't have to let it win because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And depression and discouragement and hurt and pain is all the work of the deceiver, of the enemy. God is out here to help you win and defeat it. And so Jesus moves forward. Look at verse 14. It says, when he went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. I point this out because I think this is very practical. Jesus is hurting. He wants to be alone. He doesn't get the opportunity to be alone. Instead of further withdrawing, even in the presence of other people, he says, I'm going to serve. He takes time and he heals their hurts. He heals their bodies. He heals their minds. He decides, I'm going to serve instead of withdrawing and saying, what about me? Because I think, honestly, most of us know, at least in our minds, we may not know it in practice. But when we are discouraged, the worst thing we can do is withdraw from other people. And the worst thing we can do is say, oh no, poor pitiful me. Because it will send you spiraling down the drain. Am I right? I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you as somebody who's been through this. And I've handled it the right way and I've handled it the wrong way. And Jesus doesn't just say, oh, poor pitiful me. These jerks won't leave me alone. He decides to go in the midst of them and heal them and meet their needs. And then ultimately what we see here, he says, let's feed them. But I want to say this. I want to make sure people don't misunderstand me. I mean, it'll happen anyway, but it's okay. Don't confuse rest and healing and mourning with an attempt to give up. Jesus took time to heal. Jesus was taking time to rest. Jesus was taking time to even mourn. And we are allowed to do that. But sometimes we just want to go and we want to give up and we want people to shut up and leave us alone. That's not good. Don't fall into that trap. You can heal, you can get away and rest, but don't stay away. Don't be distant and push people off and then say, why did you leave me? Reach out, reach in, go to them, serve, meet people's needs, and then you'll begin to get some healing. Jesus had compassion on others, even in his discouragement. His time to himself got cut short. And I want to point out something here. In the Greek, in that verse there, it says in um, verse 14, it says, and he had compassion on them. In the Greek, it, it is more the idea of he was moved with compassion. You see, the reason I point this out is because I think a lot of times as people, as human beings, we have compassion on people. We think compassionate thoughts, and a lot of times that's where it stops. Am I right? Oh, see you. <laughs> you know, but that, that's just wasted time. 
Jesus was moved with compassion. He went and did something with his compassion. There are a lot of people that want to tell you about feeling sorry for people, but they don't ever do anything about it. There are people that want people to be helped, but they don't want to give to help. We are called to not be those people. As a church, we are to be different. We're to be like Jesus. And we're to to wade into the midst of the people that are hurting us and taking our time and serve them in love. Be moved with compassion. Don't just feel compassion and feel like that's enough. You see, feeling compassion and practicing compassion are two totally different things. You can do one and not do the other. So what are you doing to show compassion on other people? Even when you're in need of compassion. Don't wait until you don't need it because there'll never be a time. And so just to reiterate this point, here's the next thing. Meet needs. Jesus, when he realizes that there's no food there, he knew all along. He told them to feed and he wanted to see what they thought could happen. And they said, there's no food here. And he says, what have you got? Bring it to me. And then he meets some needs. He actively served other people. Look at verse 18. He said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is an interesting story. Jesus was, I mean, he was spent. He was emotionally beat up. He was tired. He had tried to get away. His time was cut short. He jumps in and starts healing. And then when he had every right to just say, let them go and find their own food. You know, this wasn't 2021. Those people were used to fending for themselves. You know, we pull up to food line and it's closed. We're like, ah, we're going to starve. You know, we found that last night. Uh, we got to um, Bojangles at like five o'clock and the dining room closed at four. What? You know? These people could fend for themselves. It was the first century. But Jesus said, no, feed them. And so he put in the extra work of feeding these people and organizing them and caring for them. He had every right to say, what about me? What about my hurt? What about my pain? What about my need for rest? What about somebody feeding me a meal? Yet he served and he met their needs. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 and following, I think, is a great example of who Jesus was. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You and I need to understand this very simple but often missed powerful truth. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not be a servant. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not be a servant. My first response often, especially when I'm tired, especially when I'm hungry slash hangry. I ain't gonna lie, I get angry. My first response is to say, forget them. What have they done for me? 
That happens a lot, more than I like to admit. But if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to humble myself, empty myself even. I'm not God. He was God. He had a lot more to empty. I've just got some garbage to empty for the most part. But I've got to empty myself and humble myself and serve other people, putting other people's needs before my own. Because the world will tell you that, no, take care of you first. And yes, you need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be feeding yourself. You need to be, you need to be filling yourself. Don't, don't miss the point here and tune this out. But if you don't put other people before yourself, you'll never truly experience healing and wholeness in the way that God intended Meet needs. Strength to stand comes when you put other people before yourself. The next thing we see in this account is pray, pray, pray. If you wonder where you take care of yourself, because you might think, oh, I'm saying just ignore your own spiritual health and mental health. No, absolutely not. Where you serve, that's where you really gain a lot of spiritual health and eventually mental health. But pray, pray, pray. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side where he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus still got his time to go and be with the Father and to pray. So you and I cannot neglect that. The problem is, here's where I think we we run off the rails a lot of times and we, we skip leg day. We want to take care of ourselves, and we know that we need to be healthy. And we say, well, I'm always giving, I'm always giving, so therefore I'm not healthy. But the things that we do to get healthy don't work. The things that we do oftentimes to get healthy, I'm speaking in very general terms here. I don't know your life, and I don't know what you're going through and what you do. But the things we often do as people don't usually work. What we need to be doing is praying to God. Humbling ourselves before God, getting into His Word, but pray, pray, pray. Jesus, who is and was God, took time to pray alone to gain His perspective. When we try to heal ourselves, we often use the wrong tactics. So let's use God's tools and pray. Talking to our Father is where we really, truly heal and gain real strength. It's where we gain perspective, and it's also where we gain that compassion that Jesus had. When we don't get filled up by him, we won't have anything to give to anybody else or truly be healthy in ourselves. And I believe this next one is where many of us really, truly hit a wall. God will allow you to go through difficulty. If we're going to be strong and be able to stand, we've got to understand that truth. God will allow you to go through difficulty. Some of you realize that in more real ways than I could ever even imagine. And in verse 22, it tells us, we just read a minute ago, it says that he made them get in the boat. He knew the storm was coming and he made them get in the boat and go ahead without him. He said, I want them to grow in their strength. I want them to grow in their faith and their trust. Look at verse 24. But, by the, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him on this, walking on the sea, and they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But he immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid 
even though you may be going through a difficult time and God may have allowed this difficult time, the truth is, is that God is near. God is near. You might feel like the boat is going to sink. You might feel like you are going to be on the bottom and your life is over. But God is near. And while you're in the midst of your storm, he will be there walking on the waves. And he's saying, look, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm here with you. If you're looking, the nearness of God is always clearest in the storm. And I think that's why God allows difficult things to happen. Because when things are going well, guess who we don't need? I, I asked a real question there. Or I made a real statement. When things are going well, guess who we don't need? We don't need God. We don't think we need him. And we would, we would re- remove ourselves. We, we might be in a good spot, but really quickly our legs will get weak and we will start to stumble and fall. And so here's, I'm wrapping this thing up, believe it or not. Here's the next thing we learn. Following Jesus requires faith and faith requires fear. I stumbled upon this idea a few years back and I had some people kind of push back. They say, no, if you're a real believer, you won't have fear. Bull. <laughs> it's okay for us to disagree and you'd be wrong. That's all right. <laughs> Following Jesus requires faith and faith really in its purest form requires fear. Fear has to be involved in the process for you to come to a place of faith. Because if you don't need faith, guess what? If you don't need faith, you're, you don't, you're not afraid of anything. Faith only comes into play when there's something that's like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't think this is going to come together. I don't know if my child's going to get better. I don't know if there's going to be enough money at the end of the month. I don't know if God's going to show up if I go and talk to this person. There's this fear that has to take place for faith to come in and step in. If you don't have any fear, then you don't have need for any faith. And he explains it right here. He shows it right here in the scripture. Verse 28, it says, and Peter answered him. He's the one on the boat with all the others. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. You and I need to understand that maybe, just maybe, we feel like we cannot stand because we've never exercised our legs. We've never exercised our legs. We've never ever built up. We've skipped leg day so much. We've lived this so-called life of faith and we've never exercised a drop of faith. I tell you, when I was um, preaching at a church in eastern North Carolina, I had gone through this series. Uh, it was basically a chronological going through the Bible. And so what I was, the topics of what I was preaching was sort of laid out for me. I still had to write the sermons and all that sort of stuff. But it was like this passage this week, this passage the next week. And I started preaching these sermons and there was this idea came to me that following Jesus requires faith and faith requires fear. Is that you have to have this place of where you're being pushed beyond your boundaries and your comfort zones if you're going to do this. And so I was preaching to the people and I was like, you know, maybe you, know, maybe you need to lead a small group and, and you're afraid of that. Or maybe you need to join one and you're afraid of that. Or maybe you need to go on a mission trip or maybe you need to give more or maybe you need to start giving and I mean I just went through the whole gamut I said maybe you need to talk to your neighbor who you know doesn't know Jesus and I'm saying you need to get out of your comfort zone stop living in fear move to the point of faith and I man I was I was laying it on them right 
you foul sinners. And then I realized, yeah, I have some like trepidation when I go and I talk to somebody about Jesus. But everything I was challenging them to do wasn't really a fear of mine anymore. And so I realized that the very thing that I was fussing at them about, I was guilty of myself. It was just different stuff. I was living a very comfortable life following Jesus, never feeling any fear because I wasn't getting out of my comfort zones. Now, my comfort zones were a little bit broader or, or I don't know what, you know what I'm saying. I had less stuff in the faith that I was scared of, but it, I still had things that I was doing. I realized that I had been running from planting a church for 16 years at that point. I realized that God had been laying on my mind Nightdale of all places. And back then, at 16 years, so like 20 years ago, Nightdale was a, a traffic light that made everybody mad on the way to Raleigh. That's all it was. And God had already impressed on my brain to plant a church in Nightdale 20 years ago. And I kept saying, okay, nope, won't do that. Okay, nope, won't do that. I would even start to go down the path and I would run and, and hide. And I realized I am a hypocrite. Because I'm telling these people that they need to put themselves in place where they have a little fear. They need to get out of their comfort zone. But I had a nice, big, healthy comfort zone, and I was not getting out of it. And so we started praying, and here we are today, five and a half years later, Movement Church, get ready to turn four years old. Because I had to realize that I, if I was going to follow Jesus, that I had to have some fear in my life. Because if I wasn't having any fear, that means I wasn't exercising any faith. And so you and I need to do all we can to stretch our comfort zones and our boundaries. And so this last idea is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, especially when you fall. The truth is, when you stand, you will fall. You will get knocked down. You will stumble. Look at verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. There are a lot of people that will tend to look at Peter and they will be like, man, what a failure. Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, for, for the rest of time, your failure of falling and, and taking your eyes off of Jesus is, is right here in Scripture for people to see. But let me ask you this. What's a greater failure? To attempt great faith and fall or never attempt at all? Which is the greatest to never attempt great things for God or to attempt them and maybe not get it perfect. You see, Peter struggled and he put his eyes back on Jesus when Jesus told him what he needed to do. He said, look at me, basically. He, he said, reach out to me. Why did you take your eyes off of me? Our weakness is when God's power shows up. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 makes that very clear, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. So just because you don't have all the answers, just because you don't know exactly what to do, you need to say, God, help me even in my weakness, and he will show up in mighty ways. You see, God works best in our pitiful little selves. The beauty of this point of this story is this. That Peter at least got out of the boat. What about the other 11? 
maybe you and I need to get out of the boat. Maybe instead of pointing out how somebody else dropped the ball, we need to say, I didn't even try to catch it. Maybe we need to say, instead of, I, why did he sink? We need to say, I didn't even step foot. I didn't move a muscle. I wasn't thinking about going out on the waves. It's time for me to get out on the waves. Faith that is tested is faith that grows. Your faith might not be growing because you're not doing anything that causes it to grow. So let's allow God to test our faith and attempt big things and pray big prayers. Ask God to show up in mighty ways and stretch ourselves. You see, the faith of the 11 was grown through Peter's attempt and failure. The faith of the 11 was grown through the imperfect faith of the one. So don't sit there and wonder and worry, well, what if I mess up? What if it doesn't work perfectly? Other people's faith will grow even if it doesn't go perfect for you. Because you notice what it says when they got back in the boat? The 11 said what? Truly, you are the Son of God. They had power to see. It was a big thing that Jesus was walking on the water. That was, that was enough to say that. But for Jesus to say, boom, I've got you and pull you out. Allow you to walk on the water and say, boom, I've got you and pull you out. It, it just pounded into their brains that Jesus truly is the Son of God. So here's what I want you to know. Let your story... No matter how flawed it is, point people to Jesus. Let your story, no matter how flawed it is, point people to Jesus. So if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to stand on seas, you've got to follow Jesus onto the waves. And if you want to stand, you have to put in the work to grow. It's time for us to get involved in the thick of ministry and serving other people. If we want to be standing on the day of judgment and we want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, instead of depart from me, I never knew you, then we've got to build up our strength to be able to stand when the enemy comes to try to push us over and knock us over. It's time for us to build that strength by serving and loving and moving with other people so that we can stand until Jesus comes back. So as the band comes, the question is this. What are you doing that is stepping out of the boat for you? Your stepping out of the boat is going to be very different than mine, maybe. And it's going to be very different from the person sitting beside you, from your spouse, from your friends, from whoever. It's going to be different. But the question is, is are you still going to get out of the boat, though? You getting out of the boat might be like nothing to somebody else, but to you, it's rocking and rolling waves. That's okay. Get out. What is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to sacrifice? How is God calling you to serve? Who is he calling you to? Get out of the boat and learn to stand, even on the waves. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you and help you find how to serve, how to start a relationship with Jesus, how to get out of the boat and see where God's going to lead you. Because when you get out on the waves, that's where you see the power of God. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.